um, this morning. Um, it's really been interesting to me, you know, thought about preaching through Acts a while ago, but it feels like every time you come to a text, and, because, and it's simply because you're reading a text and you're thinking about a text in a particular moment with a backdrop of all the things that you're hearing and seeing. And as you come to scripture then, you start to hear the echoes of what God might be wanting to say to us in these days. And here you come to chapter six, and it's a moment in the life of the early church where there's real tension. It's racial tension, but actually it's much more specific than just general racial tension. It's actually about ethnic tension. When there are moments of racial tension and ethnic tension, they're always dangerous because they come at a time of uncertainty and volatility. But they're not unusual. It's happened time and time again. And the church is not immune from it either. There are times actually that things you see in the wider society, you also see in our own hearts. The early story of the early church has been this, that in a sense, after Pentecost, um, you can see the enemy of God's people and the enemy of all that God would want to do trying to pressurize the church into being less than it should be. It starts with persecution. You live through the disappointment of Ananias and Sapphira. How could they make such dreadful decisions so early on in their life? And now you come to another moment where actually the church really could have split dreadfully. And it's about the tensions between different groups. In a moment too, Judas is going to read the passage to us. Before we get there, let me just say this. Life together in church is not a given. It needs to be won again and again and again. Because actually we have an enemy, the devil, who stands against us and wants to create division where what God wants and what God needs and what the world needs is unity. And so the devil will work against the unity of God's people, and we'll want to undermine it and drain the life of it away and so leave the church to die. And that's why some of you who've been around church the longest sometimes get weary because it's a long, hard struggle to keep us united together. But let me tell you, those who keep working for peace, even in the most difficult of days. It's important because without it, actually everything comes to nothing. So we're gonna to listen to Judith read to us um, from uh, chapter six. It's just a really short reading today, but um, it has got seven really tricky names. So um, it's short, but it has got tricky names just to say. Um, but it's the story of uh, the tension in the other church. So hopefully, we're going to hand over to Judith and we're able to read this together. Off you go, Judith. I think we probably are just pausing until we can, uh, those who can unmute you, can unmute you. So hopefully by now that will be happening. Yeah. Ah, I can hear something. Off you go. 
In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Thanks ever so much, Judith. Connections fray during periods of stress and change. For the early church here, the passage we've just read, it was during this period where actually the widows were being fed, change was happening all around them, and it was a period of stress and the connections between people were really beginning to fray. But I suspect you already know that that's not just there and then, is it? When you go through periods of stress, and for some of you, this period of isolation has been a period of stress, you can see how connections with one another begin to fray, where things that we might have taken in our stride become far more significant for us. It's why it's widely been reported that actually for some families who've been together during this period, these have not been easy days. That actually the, the stress of being together, those of you with families, the stress of having to try to home educate or just deal with your children at home while you've been perhaps working from home and dealing with your relationships, it's no surprise if you felt that stress. And if in the stress you feel the connections between you all begin to fray, it's not unusual. And it's not unusual when there's change and you feel you're out of control. Sometimes though, these fraying connections happen when you're doing exactly the right thing. It's like, I don't know if you've ever sort of been in this situation, but it feels like, well, we've been doing the right thing and yet it feels like everything's falling apart. And we were doing the right thing. And here, that was definitely the case. The issue was that uh, an issue of growth and an issue of care. We read earlier uh, in the fourth chapter that all the disciples shared what they had. They had everything in common. And from time to time, people would sell property and they'd bring it to the apostles and they'd say, well, you distribute this to people in need amongst our number and the church was growing and what you've got going on here is that sense that they've been doing exactly the right thing the widows those people without anybody to care for them the disadvantaged have been being fed and the apostles are absolutely overwhelmed 
with all that needs to happen. We were told in chapter four that people sold property and they gave the money to the apostles, that the apostles then, these 12 disciples, these 12 original disciples, that they would distribute the money to those in need. And that's clearly what they've been doing. But there's a moment where there's a fracture in relationships. And depending on the version of the Bible that you might use, it either will say the Hellenists or the Hellenistic Jews or the Greek speaking Jews say our people are not getting fed the same as the Aramaic or Hebraic or Hebrew speaking Jews. Now, I don't want to go into lots of complicated detail except to say this, that in that early church, there were people who didn't share the same ethnic background. They shared their faith, they shared Jesus, they shared belonging to the church, but actually they came from a different ethnic background. So some were Greek speakers and they had far more in common with the Greek culture of the day and some were Hebrew speakers and they were much more in common with people who lived in Israel. And so what probably had happened is that some of these people from outside of Jerusalem and outside of Israel had come back in older age to live in Jerusalem. And their husbands probably, well, assume they must have died. And now the widows who have no extended family to care for them throw themselves on the care of the church. And numbers are increasing and the pressure is growing and it's, they're all falling out with each other essentially because the apostles can't cope with all that's request, uh, required of them. Now, the significance of this is at least in two parts. Firstly, the significance is the church could have split over this. The split would have been over ethnic lines. The split would have been about some people who have certain things in common and then other people who have other things in common. They could have said, our culture's not working here. We're just going to go back to people of the same culture because the Greek speakers would have said we're being discriminated against and so actually we need to form our own congregations or the Hebrew speaking uh, widows and those who represent them could have said actually that's not true you're not being overlooked but we'll do our own thing if they'd have split at that point they would have split and the symbol of the split would have been language which would have absolutely overturned the miracle of Pentecost. At Pentecost, everybody hears the wonders of God in their own tongue, but there's a unity about that. Here, it would have been a split. So this is the significance of this moment. It's only a short story, but it's massively important because it could have split. And secondly, it's massively important because it's a dress rehearsal. It's a dress rehearsal for everything that's going to happen next. You see, these people do share a trust in Jesus. They do share Jewish history. They do share a place. They're all in Jerusalem together. But very shortly, the church are going to have to work out what happens when Gentiles come to know Jesus. And how will Jews and Gentiles work together to demonstrate the beauty of the kingdom of God that doesn't um, sort of recognize national boundaries and say people can't join together? 
in a sense, in this early church, if you can't deal with this, how would you deal with all that would come later? It was absolutely vital that they dealt with this and that they dealt with it well. Otherwise, they would not be able to cope with what was going to come down the line. I think that that's often the case, and I think it's the case for those of us who committed to church, committed to community, want to say a number of things, and I'll say these a bit more clearly in a moment, except to say this at this point. Listen, it's not unusual for you to have tensions and to feel sometimes stress in church together. The more you know one another, the more you will feel that stress and strain. But this is a dress rehearsal. How you deal with that is a dress rehearsal for all that God's got for you in the future. For if you can't deal with this well, how will you manage later? I'm kind of reminded of Jeremiah, who in one of his prophetic utterances said, if you can't run with men, what makes you think you're going to be able to run with horses? It's almost like you get to practice now because of all that will come later. And the church, this early church, do address this issue. And they address it by saying the solution is within us. So what happens? Well, the apostles firstly take it seriously. They don't just try and dampen down um, the tension. They don't try and make everybody happy. They actually go, no, we're going to take this seriously. They've listened to the complaint and they've not just dismissed it. And then the apostles say to the whole body of the church, you deal with this problem. Now, that's really interesting at this stage because the apostles could have dealt with it. But actually what they say to the church is, this is what we suggest. Will you pick seven men? Now, for us reading that text today, you go, where were the women? Why weren't women included? Actually, in some ways, it's kind of countercultural that the men should be the ones caring for the widows. It was the men who were to be overseeing the distribution of food. It wasn't a woman's job to be in the kitchen. And this could be a hobby horse that I'll get onto if I'm not careful. The role of women in the church is not to be in just those softer, caring aspects of church. It's not the role of women in the church to be in the kitchen. It's the role of women in the church to be part of the solution. Here, the church busts all the cultural expectations and the apostles say, find seven men. Seven, because actually that would have been understood within a synagogue situation. Find people who are trustworthy. Find people who are full of the spirit. Find people who are, are wise and let them deal with it. You might be interested to know those seven names um, that uh, Judah threw out impeccably are all Greek word names. So in other words, the church say we need to find the people who feel they're been biased against we need to feel the people who've been discriminated against they need to be part of the solution they belong to the offended group and they deal with it and what's the outcome well at the end of that little passage it's just a, a couple of uh, one sentence really two sentences the word of god spread the number of disciples increased 
and a large number of priests become obedient to the faith. And that might be, it sounds a little strange, except in some ways it's a transition point to the next part of the story. This is going to be about the temple. But in another way, what you might not know, is that priests who worked at the temple at that time were really often on the breadline. They didn't have a regular steady income. And so they were dependent upon handouts. And these people now join the church. And there is a kind of like almost... Um, irony about all of this because now well we've dealt with the problem of how do you care for all these people we've dealt with the money we've dealt with the distribution and then more poor people join it's like oh lord there's more of them now that's what happens you see you solve it and the lord trusts you with more so as we read this situation and we read it for ourselves as church and as you read it for yourself perhaps for some of you with situations at work or in voluntary organizations you're part of, how do you speak up? You speak up when values are at stake. I want you to think, and I'm kind of doing that dual thing of what does it mean for us as a church, but actually does this make sense for us in the whole of our life? When do you speak up? You speak up, not when there's just things that you're not happy with. As church grows, and as you found during these days of having to use this technology, this is not, for some of you, this has been a really, really stress-inducing moment of working technology that you weren't that familiar with. And sometimes that has caused stress for you. I know that. And sometimes there's times when you're like, I don't like using this way of working. Yeah. And there's something about that. But you know what? There are times to speak up when our values are at stake. And that's far more than just what we like. Our values are we're a growing community of whole life disciple makers who alert to God's leading, paying careful attention to one another and the moment we're in so we can be good news to those around us. Listen, the moment you feel we're no longer paying attention to one another the moment you say we're no longer trying to make ourselves alert to what god is doing we're no longer trying to think about the moment we're in we're no longer trying to be good news to the world around us that's when we speak up and you'll see it and that's when you speak up because actually those are the values and that's what you do in a work setting when do you speak up in a work setting you speak up when actually the values of the workplace are at stake or the company or the school or the college whatever it might be how do you do it you listen you listen well to the complaint that's being made i want to make an ongoing commitment as one of the leaders of the church, that we will listen when you say we are concerned about this. It's the only way we can grow. We will not dismiss what you say. We will not just try and gloss over. And equally, we will not just try and make sure that everybody's happy. We will listen when you say, I think some of our values are at stake. Now, there might be times when we disagree, but we will listen and we'll take it really seriously because we together we will try and name the real issue. The real issue here wasn't 
just a bunch of people, widows, who needed feeding. The real issue was actually the potential split. The real issue was the widening of ministry that needed to happen. It was no longer possible, nor was it right, that the apostles should do everything. They needed to know what their ministry was, and they needed to release other people into what their ministry was. The real issue was far bigger than just the feeding of the widows. And sometimes you see something that's wrong and actually the thing that's wrong names something that's much bigger that really needs to be dealt with. But the solutions will always be us and not you. It's kind of interesting because as a church leader, sometimes people come and go, what you need to do is this. You need to do this. And it's kind of like, oh, great. Thanks. I've got another thing to add to my to-do list. But actually, when people come and go, we have a problem and I want us to be able to solve that. I've got to tell you, not only does that do my heart good, but it allows for real wisdom and it allows for the spirit to do something. These early apostles, what did they say? Go and find people who are full of the, who are known to you people of good reputation, people who are full of the spirit and people who are wise. Our church needs you to be that. It's kind of like if there was anything else I would ask for us as a whole church is, will you make your daily prayer be, Father God, fill me with your spirit. Father God, give me wisdom. If we prayed nothing else for a whole year, give us the spirit, give us wisdom. I tell you, things would happen around us and through us that would absolutely amaze us. Because it's us. And it's easy and I understand it. And it's, it's a lot better sometimes to be able to go, well, will you need to deal with this? But actually sometimes there's an us and it's not a you. Solutions will be us, not you. Last one. The outcome will be further growth. And uh, those of you that know Book of Acts uh, know only too well there's going to be many other times where actually there's tension, where actually there's conflict, where they've got to work out how they respond to new situations. It's not plain sailing. You don't solve things once and all things are well. Actually, you solve it and then God gives you further growth and that will lead you to new challenges down the line. But you learn along the way. I suppose what I'm wanting to say this morning internally are two things, perhaps. Firstly, it's this, that it's not a tragedy when we feel the tension. It's a tragedy when we don't actually address it. And the second thing is that these tensions happen at times of stress and they bring out of us things that we might be quite surprised are still there. I think it would have been quite a surprise to the early church on the day of Pentecost if people had said, you know what, you might all be united today. And in chapter two, you meet daily and chapter four, you have all in common, all things in common. It might have been quite a surprise if by chapter six, someone had pointed out, Do you know what, there's still a major fracture between Jew, uh, Hebrew speaking Jews and Greek speaking Jews, because actually the situation had brought out of them what was there and so it is too the first thing is actually do you know what it's not unusual 
and it happens because of growth. And secondly, it's a part of our life together as church where God enables us to grow and become more than we ever would have imagined. And we all have our part to play. It's an us, it's not a you. It's not my job, it's not the governing body's job, it's not SMT, it's not this person or that person or the other person, it's us together that actually say we're there for you.